I was thinking about beginning the new year. Jason and I talked about with last week um, kicking off, uh, looking fresh start into the new year, kind of what would be a great uh, start for the new year. And I put this question on the screen, what do you value? And um, I thought I would just take a few moments this morning to talk about value and what Valley Community, when we started and as we progressed throughout the years, what are the things that we value and how it maybe ties in your life. And we call them core values. Um, you know, I would say it this way, what do you value most in life? Or some people would say it this way, what would you be willing to sacrifice everything for? Is there anything in life that you're like, these are the things that are my core values and I would sacrifice everything? Um, when I was growing up, we used to sing this hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. Um, all to him I freely give, surrendering our life to Jesus. So I would like to just take you on a little journey this morning. What are the core values of Valley? And maybe look at them and see how they play into the everyday life of our community, but also your own personal life. You see, God has a purpose and a plan for every person here for this morning. And what we want to do is see the full potential and prioritize the things in life that God values. So one of the ways we do that is we work through in our life, we clarify our values, we weigh up what is most important in our life. And then what you start to see is we bring it in agreement with our actions in life, what we do. We must realize that values and core values do affect our life. And I think it just says introduction to that. Have you ever considered how core values really affect your life? I would say this. They definitely affect your stress life. Um, what you value is important. And when your values are unclear, there's confusion in life. And confusion usually brings about conflict in your life. And it's because you haven't clarified what's important in your life. And that results in stress. How about values controlling success in life? The Bible talks a lot about that. When our values are unclear in this, we realize values impact every decision we make. And so when you're filtering your life, either subconsciously or consciously, through your values, it will either lead you to places of great growth and great success and great development, or if your values are wrong, you will find that eventually you crash and burn in life. What you think is important in life not only affects just things like stress, but it affects your future success. And your values should, and they do affect those around you. What you value impacts others. And lastly, I would say it affects eternity. Uh, Jesus said that it's possible to be outwardly successful, but find, and that might be financially, that might be socially, or every other way of life you might be successful, but it's possible to be spiritually bankrupt on the inside. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And your core values in life have impact that go greater than just your stress, greater than just your success here on earth, greater than impacting others. 
it has eternal consequences what you value the most. So today I'd like you to consider what do you value? And I would like to use four, five key core values that Valley has, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but I picked five of our core values that I would like you to see that are important to us and see if these essential core values can play out in your life and see you see the potential that God has for, uh, for you. So one of the great passages when we're talking about church to go to is in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible today, um, I would encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 2. And we are going to look at the last part of Acts chapter 2 and go through some core values that were part of the church in Acts chapter 2. In this count that we have in Acts chapter 2, we are only days and weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. And there's this movement that's happening. There were about 120 followers of Jesus at that point. And in verse 41 of Acts 2, we find that Peter preaches this message And that day, there was about 3,000 people that put their faith in Jesus. So what I want to do is, what did they do, all these new believers and the 120, which were really led by the 12 um, disciples, the 12 apostles that Jesus would send out? So let's pick up in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And this is what it says In Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and properties and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this is Acts 2. Can you imagine what this must have been like? A new church populated with a very large number of new Christians. I mentioned earlier there was only about 120 members of the church of followers of Jesus before that, and 3,000 trusted Jesus just that day. So as we walk through Acts and we walk through the epistles after this, one of the things that we find out is they had a lot of things to work through. The church had to learn how to be racially diverse, This was a church that at this point wasn't very diverse, uh, mostly Jewish people that had come to Jesus. They had to learn how to discipline in the church. What do you do when things go wrong in the church? They had to learn what traditions do we let go and that aren't that important anymore. They had to learn how to work through persecution. But... There were some elements in Acts chapter 2 that were core values that they started from the beginning and were reinforced constantly throughout the book of Acts. And Paul and Peter and many other of the writers of the epistles actually uh, reinforced these core values. And they're right here in this passage, and they are reinforced many other places in Scripture. So I would like to look at five of them 
First of all, you will notice from the beginning that Jesus was at the center. Remember I shared that there were 3,000 that believed on Jesus? Jesus was actually the focal point of the message that they came to trust. Look at this. This is just earlier in Acts 2. Peter's message said this, God has raised this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, and this is a quote from the Old Testament, with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? So he presents Jesus here and he says, this is the one that Israel that you have read about for a long time. And he is now raised from the dead. And they're like, what should we do? And Peter in verse 38 says, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Right from the beginning, Peter starts at the place that we should value the most, and that is the gospel and the center importance of Jesus and what he did for us. And the gospel would permeate everything that they did. And the first reason for putting Jesus as first and primary importance in your life is exactly what it says here. It has eternal implication. Jesus resolves man's biggest problem, and that is separation from God. And they called out, well, what should we do? And they said, put your faith in Jesus. But what about making Jesus the center of your life on a daily basis? Or how do we make Jesus a center at Valley? I would like to remind you of what John said about Jesus in John 1, 1 through 3. John said this, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, and the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. We learn that Jesus Christ was creator and was at the center of everything we know from the beginning. As a matter of fact, as we are singing this morning, the song, Good, Good Father. I'd like to read you some of these lyrics because it really jumped out to me when we were singing. Listen to this, that um, the, the song we sang. It starts with this, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. That's how the song, Good, Good Father, and there is many theories of what God is like. And I've heard God's love speak to me, and it says this, you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. This is what faith in God looks like. And that is God is satisfied because of Jesus. So it says this, you're a good father. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. This is the foundational of what it's like to put Jesus at the center of your life. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. I know we're all searching for answers. But it says this, you only provide because you know just what we need before we even say a word. And then the bridge says this, you're perfect in all of your ways. Think about this. What is it like to put Jesus 
in first place in your life every day. God knows what you need before you even say a word. And his solution is always perfect. We were talking in our music team about this. It makes sense if the person that created everything we know and has a design and a plan for each one of us, doesn't it make sense that would be someone to follow and put your trust in? And it says this, I love this, and the scripture echoes this, because before you even echo your heart to him, he knows exactly what you need. And this was foundational. They put Jesus at the center of everything. And you see, the whole Bible talks about Jesus. Even though Christ's name isn't necessarily mentioned in every Old Testament book, we know that these books are geared towards the Messiah. As a matter of fact, in Luke 24, Jesus says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He walked through and said, here's where I mentioned. Here's where I'm prophesied. This is talking about me and all throughout the scriptures. And then one day, Paul tells us, every knee will bow before him in heaven and earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And this is what they built on. So how do you put Jesus at the center of your life every day? So let's go to, I think, to build on that core value number two at Valley and core value, I hope, in your life, and that is word-saturated. This is one of the great ways to put Jesus at the center of your life. They were devoted in Acts 2 to the word. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So in those early days, there were 12 that had followed Jesus. And what they did is they just followed Jesus around and spent time with him. And what they did is they became the rabbis that Jesus was for them to this group of people. They had gained a great knowledge of the Old Testament, and now they had understanding of how Jesus' fulfillment fit in with the Old Testament. So can you imagine what it was like for the new converts that were speaking to these 12? I can imagine that they were so hungry to know what Jesus was like. They probably persisted, tell us more about Jesus. What was he like? What did he do? What did he say? Tell us the parable of that sower that we heard so much about. Or tell us what it was like when you were at, and Peter and John and those there at the Mount of Transfiguration. What was was that like? Matthew, tell us what it was like when he walked on water. Thomas, what about that time when you got to see Jesus and you got to put your hands on his hands and you were able to touch him and believe? Or maybe they went and said, go back through the Old Testament and show us where Jesus is in all of these stories. Maybe they said, can we go look at Isaiah 53? We want to see it as you see it now and as Jesus shared Isaiah 53 They were devoted to the word of God. And why wouldn't they be? It was truth. It was refreshing to their hearts. It was what they were longing for. And so I would say to you, be word saturated. Treasure the word of God. In a world where truth is 
being degraded all the time and it's confused. And even amongst believers, it can be a confusing topic that people have differing opinions on. We need a place where truth is proclaimed, and that is the word of God. But it's not just that the word of God is truth. Jason said this in the middle, and I love this. And the writer of Hebrews says this too. The word of God is active, and it's alive. It's supernatural. It reveals God and God's plan to you, and it speaks to you. And as a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says it speaks to you so much, it can search the thoughts and intents of your heart. And I think that can be two parts for me. It can be a little humbling that something I read can see inside of me and can actually know my heart and my thoughts. That's not really a comfortable thing for me. Um, When I got married, I realized that that can happen with another person. And that was a little scary. The like would say, I know what you're thinking. And I'm like, you don't know what I'm thinking. And then they say, and you're like, ooh, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with someone that knows what I'm thinking. It was a little little scary at times. But the word of God is like that. It sees in your hearts. It sees the intents that you have. But what happens is when you let the Bible do this, the Bible will become alive to you. You will see the beauty of God in the Bible, and you will see the beauty of God's plan for you. And this is why at Valley, we put a significant importance on being word-saturated. You'll hear it in our messages. You'll hear it in our podcasts. You'll see it be an instrumental part of when we do our one another's together. It has the power to transform us so they were word-saturated. The third one that I see in this passage is they were passionate about prayer and they were passionate about worship. It's important in the life of a church that prayer is not just something that's done in passing, maybe like a transition in the service or a transition before you eat, but that it's a vital part of our ministry and it's a vital part of your life. The early church in verse 42 pursued prayer, it says. In the same sentence as fellowship, And studying the word of God, it says that they persisted in it and they pursued it intentionally. If the word of God is speaking to you and that's we read it and we see God revealed. And so we're word saturated. I would look at this prayer is the way you communicate with God as individual believers. I think sometimes we can struggle with this. And Pastor Matt says this often because we become self-reliant. So we don't include God necessarily in each part of our lives. And what happens here is we completely miss out on the reality. And that is our walk with Jesus is a relationship. And relationships are built on communication. And so to spend time in God's word and the Holy Spirit speaking to you is an important thing. But prayer and worship is such an integral part of our walk because this is the way that we communicate to God. So, yes, we go to God in our troubles. We go to God in our decision-making. We go to God with our thanksgiving. We go to God when we just want to talk about things. We go to God for direction in life. 
And at Valley, one of the core values of prayer is that we go to God together. We collectively bring our praises and our thanksgiving to God in worship. We collectively lift one another up in prayer. We collectively ask God's blessing on our lives and our direction in our lives. It's an essential part of our every day. And every day we should be talking to God because it's a true relationship. And I think what, a, what we come to the realization is nothing can be accomplished without prayer. And so our goal is that prayer would saturate every aspect of the individual and also the corporate life of Valley Community Church. And we see it in here that prayer saturated what they were doing. The early church gave great emphasis to the importance of prayer And we see it all throughout the New Testament. We believe that this is an essential part for effecting God's plan, knowing him through prayer. Number four in Acts chapter two is we see they were community focused. It says, now all the believers were together and they held things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. Every day in verse 46, it says, They devoted themselves to meeting together, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate food with joyful and sincere hearts. The early Christians, they met regularly. Now, they had jobs. They had families. But there was so much joy about their faith and their love for one another that we see they threw themselves into community. Have you ever thought about this in reference to a core value in life? that people are longing for meaningful friendships. People are longing for a community to call their own. They're longing for a family. In our church, our prayer is that Valley, if we can elevate the needs of others above our own, like they did here in Acts chapter 2, we can be the family, we can be the community that people have never had. And Jason and I were talking about this this week in preparation for this message, that even though we're more connected than we ever have been before with things like social media, and there's people that I keep track of in life that I haven't spoke to in 30 years. And I know a lot of, like if I walk, do you have this ever happen? This happened to me a while back. You walk up to someone and you comment on something in their life, and they look at you like, how did you know that? Like, I haven't talked to you in a while. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we're friends on Facebook. Like, that's like a separate type of friend in life. Like, here's my real friends, and oh, yeah, we're friends on Facebook, you know? And so there are people on Facebook that I know more about than my real friends. And it's we're more connected probably than any way Um, than we've ever been in life that we can keep track of people all over the globe. My sister lives in Indonesia, and I'm able to uh, get on WhatsApp, and we can talk at any time that we want to. But with this being more connected, there is more reporting of loneliness than there ever has been before. How can there be so much loneliness when we have so much opportunity to be connected. 
As I think about this, there are many secular and worldly communities that are very good at attracting and keeping lonely people. You see, these Jews that had come to know Jesus, for most of them, they couldn't go back. They couldn't go back to their old friends, and their life that they had known before was going to be significantly different. And what happens here is a whole community steps in and becomes their family. These Jesus followers, as they would be known, become an an entire community. And how they knew community was, let's serve the needs of our community. A family outside of family. And it's our prayer, if we can be that for people in our community, God can do much more than we expected. One of my favorite passages on community comes from Ecclesiastes. If you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon takes time to try and discover all the things that he thinks might be meaningful in life. And he pursues a lot of things. And he writes about them in Ecclesiastes. And one of the times in Ecclesiastes, he's pursuing about spending your life in work and money And he comes across this idea of having a friend. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes 4. I love this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Now, I don't know if... Let's just pause there for a second. I don't know if you've ever been there in life where you had someone to pick you up. Someone really close to me in my life went through a time of depression. I have never experienced true depression. I thought I had experienced depression until I had someone close to me go through what we would consider clinical depression. What that person later shared to me about the darkness of a place when you are depressed is something I never really grasped before. And they said this, I could not get out of it myself. And I don't know if you're like me. I kind of feel like I can get out of anything myself. I have a very high view of myself. If you are friends with me, you already know that. If you don't know me that if you don't know me that well, you will eventually get to know me. Uh, I've gotten better at that in life. Uh, that's another high view of myself. <laughs> um, I always feel like I can I can do it. I can get out of it. Um, it's often led me. I remember one time it led me to uh, before uh, iPhones and stuff like that used to follow the map. You remember those pieces of paper? And then you would have the zoom in of the city. It was like a box in the corner. And I remember going through Chicago once, and I thought, I don't really need to follow the directions that were given to me. I've got a map. I can do it myself. And I got to some very scary places that I did not know existed in Chicago. And the language was not my own, and it looked very different. And when I would come to stop signs, someone came up and knocked at my window. 
And I'm like, they don't do this in rural Indiana. No one comes up and knocks at your window. It's just corn, so there's a reason that nobody (laughs) knocks at your window at a stop sign. But it it was very scary for me. It's led me to places like that, and I was like, this is no big deal. Like, I can figure it out. I realized maybe take the directions that were given to you, and uh, I thought I would learn my lesson. I haven't. I still don't do that. I still think even Google Maps, if I take this way, it'll get there, and I'll be better off. And it's just like a competition. When Google, is this you? When Google says 15 minutes to get there, I look at that as a competition. Like, like... (laughs) Oh, yeah, 15, I can do better than... I don't remember where this was in my message. This, if you come to our small group, this is very much like our small group. Like, where were we 30 minutes later? Anyways, uh, I think I was saying I have a high view of myself. And I always think I could get out. And that was the first time that anyone really close to me really shared. I, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't do it. And now I've grown to know, working through people with counseling and addictions, the value of what Solomon is saying here, where someone in life that you walk alongside of that's there to pick you up, and the value of being that person that when two are together and one falls down can pick them up. The value of community, if you've never come to know it, is something that Solomon says is a meaningful thing in life. He continues on. He says, and if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep um, alone, keep warm? And if someone overpowers one, two can resist him, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Do you want this type of community for yourself? The type that you can be there for someone else, someone can be there for you. I don't know if you are fully understanding what's going on in Acts 2. They were selling their stuff. They were giving a place for these people to live. That's what community looked like to them, and that's all they knew. Let's let's provide for these people that have no place to go home. And I would say this to you. If that's the kind of community you want that would be there for you when you need it, don't wait for Valley or for your church to start a program. Grab someone after church, and go to coffee. Ask someone to pray with you. Talk about what God is doing in your life with someone else. Maybe it's read through the Bible together with someone or ask a fellow Christian if they have a need that you can meet and be ready and prepared like Acts 2. For them, they were ready to meet that need. Be community focused and i hope at valley we can be the community that you're looking for i hope you can be the community that you are looking for and then the last one we finish up with this one leadership development do you get the context of what's happening here in acts chapter 2 jesus developed 12 that 12 led 120 and this 120 would now lead 3,000. 3,000 in one day could not be possible unless there was a structure in place that people had been developed to the point where they can lead others. And how is that going to get done? 
Jesus developed leaders, and that's what the 12 knew that they should do. The example we see all throughout the New Testament is develop, development of leaders to carry out God's plan. And Valley has a passion to see you develop into the leader that God has for you. And whether that is in your home, whether that is in your workplace, whether that is in your school, or whether that is in your community that you are involved in, we hope that you can be the leader that God wants you to be. In discussion with this this week, um, I came across this acronym that I believe um, organizations in our area, um, I think STUMO, um, I think they used it for a while too. It's an acronym of FAITH, and I thought it would be really good for you to look at what, is, what do we mean when we say um, we want you to be a leader, and what, what does it take to be a leader? You know, what, were, what was the occupation um, of the people that Jesus first reached out to be a leader? Does anybody remember what their occupation was? Fishermen, right? I, this, this is so challenging to me because when I think I want to get leaders, I go look for leaders. What was Jesus looking for when he wanted leaders that would take the church to grow to see what we know it today? So I really like this. Uh, there's many of them. Uh, this is faith. Um, some people, I think they use a shorter one called fat, but this one is faith. It's a little drawn out a little bit more. You can see it, F-A-I-T-H. This is what I think Jesus was looking for. And the first one is faithfulness. Luke actually helps us understand a little bit of what faithfulness looks like. He says, he who is faithful in a little thing is also faithful in much. Faithfulness is an indication of whether a person can be trusted to steward something. Jesus was looking for people that were willing to steward what he was going to hand off to them. The second one is availability. It's my favorite one of all of them because sometimes you just got to show up, right? If you've worked with young people, and before I came um, to Valley... I was a middle school and a high school choir director for five years. Getting people to show up is like the greatest task I found out in middle school. Can you just be there? And availability is one of the great uh, leadership qualities that we find that you have to be available. And Jesus was looking for people that were willing to be available. What did they do when Jesus said, follow me? They threw down their nets and they followed him. They were available. The third one is take the initiative. Initiative is really born out of a quality of ownership. And what we would love for you um, as you get involved and plug in at Valley Community in 2020 to feel ownership. This is your place and this is a place that I care about and I'm willing to take the initiative and there are so many of you that have shown this part of leadership. Initiative looks like, can I stack chairs? Some of you are pro-chair stackers, which is amazing. That's like your you know, what, number one gift in life that I see is like, hey, can I stack chairs? And I'm like, this guy's a master chair stacker. But there's a lot of ways to take initiative. 
Uh, I remember that uh, two years ago we had somebody that uh, came to Valley Community for the first time. And someone that had been to Valley Community, I think, three or four weeks, took them out to lunch. And this person um, that had, uh, was a brand new visitor thought someone that had been at Valley Community for years, man, this place is really special, that they take people out to lunch at the first time there. As they start talking in their little lunch um, gathering, they find out these people have only come to Valley for three weeks. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're new. We don't know what Valley's about either. But it was like they took the initiative. And to me, it was like, these people are leaders. They take the initiative. That's what community looks like. The fourth one is teachability. And that disciples were teachable but struggled with this often. Be a learner. Be hungry to grow. Teachability, I believe, is just this great desire to learn and to grow. But I think it's also a commitment to wrestle with different viewpoints in order to become like Jesus. Be willing to have your ideas challenged. You know, I am not the same Christian as I was 25 years ago. And I think if you knew me 25 years ago, you would say, I'm thankful for that. I think part of following, yeah, that wasn't supposed to be funny, but I guess now that I, now that I say it out loud, it's a little more funnier than, than I thought it was. But I think one of the reasons that to be teachable is that you're willing to let go of some of your ignorance and selfishness. And if you're not willing to let go of your ignorance and your selfishness, you're never going to be teachable. And Jesus was looking for people that were willing to do that. And do you remember that Jesus would call them out on it? Peter got called on it several times. Peter and I are very much alike in life. I'll say something, and then someone says, you know, I don't think that's right. And I'm like, I never considered that, that that might not be right. And I start reading about it, and like, and I think that's what a Christian growth looks like. That's what a leader is like. I'm willing to be challenged in my faith. And then the last one, a heart for God, a heart for people. And we see that here in this passage because they start pouring their life out for other people. And if a person doesn't exhibit a heart for God, I don't think in a heart for people, they can never be called a true leader. And our goal this year, as we look at our core values of Valley, is that we would provide access and areas for you to develop as a leader to be the person that God wants you to be. Later, these 12, these 120, these 3,000 would pass their faith to the next generation of leaders. And here we are a couple thousand years later, and what they established, their core values continues. You know, the one thing as we close about value and about core values, they are fairly stable, usually core values, but they usually don't have strict limits or boundaries. I would say it this way, they're like a stabilizing force in your pursuit of seeing God and seeing God work in your life on a daily basis. And these values, our ideals, are the very basis of that and are so important and crucial. Jesus being at the center, the word being saturated with the word, prayer and spending 
great times in your life on a daily basis, talking to God, having community being something that you love, and taking next steps as developing a leader. These are the stabilizing forces that I see in Acts 2. And there were others of them. This is not an exhaustive list. But those we see echoed through all of the teachings in the Bible. I think these take you on the step that you can be what God wants you to be. I mentioned at the beginning, nine years ago, our family took the step of faith to move out to Colorado. And we had a vision for something like this. Over the years, we've tried to define, refine that. Having Pastor Matt come be part of the team at Valley was just such a gift because I'll say it and kind of stumble around it. And then Matt, like, have you found this, those that attend here, Matt will say something in one sentence and you're like, that's the way I wish I could have said it. And I could never get it out that way to articulate it. Having him part of that vision for what Valley, we've seen God do amazing things over these last nine years. And We've seen God challenge us in great ways also. What I'm looking forward to as I look at 2020, I believe God wants to and God can do great things in each and every one of our lives. And I think one of those first steps that I hope this year can take you forward is look at what you value, look at what God values, look at what the leaders that God put forth, what they valued, And I think establish those values and patterns in your life. And they will lead you to see God, see his beauty, and see his plan for your life.